IFSA is an organization of fire service personnel dedicated to upgrading firefighting techniques and safety through training. Between their manuals, ebooks, apps, curriculum, exam prep, Resource One, and more, firefighter training has never been more customizable than with IFSTA FPP products. Visit them at ifsta.org for more information. Welcome back to Main Street Firefighting, a podcast by Fire Engineering. My name is Lex Shady, and with me is my partner, Chris Tobin. Before we begin, we'd again like to thank Fire Engineering for the opportunity, and you all for tuning in. This episode, we are joined by Chief Jason Hovelman, who is the Fire Chief of Florissant Valley Fire District in St. Louis County, Missouri. You've probably seen his classes or articles online, or are familiar with his social media, The New Fire Officer. We enjoyed the conversation picking the Chief's brain on Midwest firefighting, legacy buildings, and what a training culture looks like at a busier suburban department. We hope you enjoy. Again, my name is Lex Shady and with me is Chris Tobin. Today we're joined by Chief Ovalman. Um, we're going to talk about kind of Midwest legacy buildings from his experiences, you know, first as a firefighter and now as a chief, kind of what he sees um, from that perspective. We're going to touch on legacy construction and on some of his upcoming classes and where you'll be able to see him in the future. So thanks again, Chief, for coming on. We really appreciate your time. Um, can you get started for us? A little bit of uh, bio for you, maybe like how you started in the fire service, some of your experiences and where you are now. Yeah, yeah. First off, thanks to you and Chris for having me on. It's a true pleasure to be here. Um, I got started uh, in the fire service really young. I grew up in a small town uh, about an hour or so outside of St. Louis called Sullivan. It was a fully volunteer department, really small, that had a junior fire program. And so I had a cousin that was uh, a little older than me that kind of yanked me in at a young age. And since I was 13, um, I volunteered until we moved away from there in 2020 um, and uh, started my career uh, in St. Louis County in 1996. And uh, was been fortunate enough to be with Florissant for the last 23 years, uh, moved up in the ranks uh, with some uh, for, you've been fortunate enough to move up in the ranks there uh, to where now I'm the fire chief for the last four years. And uh, I can't imagine doing anything else. Uh, all I've known. So luckily, uh, it's been good to me. <laughs> yeah, um, it's really good that you have a mix of, you know, a mixed pedigree of, you know, volunteer combination and then, you know, career. And obviously, uh, sounds like what sounds like every level. Of, of position in two different departments and all in the Midwest, which is uh, why, you know, one of the, one of the big reasons why we really wanted to have you on is so we can give people kind of a Midwest flavor of what we consider main street, you know, because it, it does vary depending on where you live, what that means. And um, also another thing too, for me personally was when uh, I did a class, my, the first time I did, you know, I was um, like everyone else, doing the class for instructor two and uh, I was like well you know I'll talk about brick buildings that's something that I do a lot of and then um, I had looked up something about that and I think you had an article written about Main Street fires and this was years ago not like super duper long ago but like within the past decade and uh, it was the only article out there and um, I don't know if you recall writing that article about it was something to do with like why main streets are still important to talk about or fires on main streets or like legacy type three buildings. 
Yeah, I vaguely remember it um, whenever I looked at the questions ahead of time. And, and you're right. And, and that was kind of the, the idea was that there wasn't a lot of discussion at that time about legacy buildings. And the, the I think it primarily looked at the type three, uh, you know, ordinary construction uh, buildings on a lot of main streets um, that uh, causes problems because, number one, there's not that many, at least... And, you know, urban settings, you've got a lot of them in the cities. Uh, there's still a lot of them around, but like in Florida and Sullivan, we don't have that many of them. But when we have them, I think about fires in Sullivan that we've had sure. in those buildings. They're rare, but when they happen, they're really, really difficult. Uh-huh. Um, they're, they're, there's special nuances about those buildings you've got to really be careful with. Uh, I can think about buildings in Cuba, Missouri. All these are real rural departments where right. these fires happen and they overwhelm resources and they challenge uh, tactical priorities because they're much different from the lightweight wood frame that, that we deal with the other 95% of the time. And that's kind of what, what came out of that, the, the reason for that article. Sure. And, and what was, what was like, cool for me was, first of all, um, it was something that obviously uh, there was really no one talking about, and yours was the only thing out there. And, and then I think there may have been an FDIC class um, about the subject, and uh, it was you know I think it was um, ironically by Joe Pernesti, you know who is our partner. And um, between the three of us, you know that was it. You know there, there was no if someone was like I want to know about old buildings in my town, or I want to know about this main street fire i had and and what what you know what i can do better next time there was that was it it was jason holderman and uh you know joe pernesti um and i think things i think things have gotten uh i I would say uh moving in the right direction since then and like i said this is i I can't remember exactly when this was but in the in the past 10 years and uh, yeah yeah i don't remember exactly either but you guys have done you and joe you guys have done an amazing job uh you know Bringing the bring to the forefront these legacy buildings, and you know, folks like you and Joe have got so much experience dealing with them all the time with just the building stock that you have, and um, so it's important information because they're not going. You know, there's still a lot of them out there. Sure, and that's the thing about your article. It's everything you have in there is still absolutely to the day relevant. You know, and um, I think it's. I think I think I was just. It was. Uh, it was neat to have you on here, and plus, obviously, it was neat to come across the article because I didn't know you at the time. But yeah, so it, it was—it's really cool to, to have you on here because uh, it was just—it was good seeing you know what you had put out there, and, and that there was so little else out there. And uh, it, it's cool that you, that where you work, and I'm I'm you know somewhat familiar with fluorescent. I would say it's the poster child for why you need to know about these buildings, um, because you don't necessarily have a main street, but you have a historic district, right? And you have. You know, you have probably four or five decades of, of newer construction surrounded by a center older core. And I don't know what the ratio is, but I'm sure you can remember off the top of your head probably the last 10 to 15 fires. And, you know, it, when the la- you know what the spread is between one of those buildings. Maybe it's years. I don't know. But it, it that I would say, like, where you work in Florissant is, is, is just a good example of, you know, you can't just forget about those buildings. Because there's enough of them to still remain relevant, right? There is. And you're right. We have a, a, what they call Old Town. And yeah, sure. that's where the majority of our Type 3 buildings are. And we, the last Type 3 building, it's not what you would uh, picture it to be, but it was a, an old motorcycle repair shop just a couple of years ago. It's okay. just a one-story building. But, you know, you could 
you can see the characteristics, the smoke, you know, issuing between the the mortar lines mm-hmm. and you know things of that nature. Sure. Uh, luckily, it was right across from the firehouse, so we got uh, a good knock on it quick. But <laughs> um, I guess the, the the biggest hurdle. And we'll ask you these questions too to get your take on them. the biggest hurdle for younger people, for you know, the younger younger generation coming in is. You know, say that was some new kid's first shift. Well, he got or they got a special deal. But say it wasn't, and then someone may go years, and it's really easy to 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 you know convince someone that hey, these are important to know, and they might not go to them, you know, for many years. In some cases, may may never go to an older building. So that's always a challenge. And I, and I, I guess the question that um, I wanted to ask you was how do you how do you keep the the newer members on your department or your department as a whole? You know, motivated to even recognize and learn about the older buildings that you have, because you do, like you said, you have a named part of your district that is a historic district. So it, it is a little more, yeah. You know, there. Uh, some places it's not. There are some places where it's just not even a thought until it happens, and then they're they're now they're off kilter, right? Right. Yeah. So we we probably don't do enough to be quite honest um, in that regard. And but um, a new member that uh, comes on outside of their orientation, we've got a training division and we have some core uh, items that we cover every year. And so like building construction and water supply and search and those are the things we do every year. So they, they get that kind of, I don't want to say canned, but it, you know, we, we cover those foundational things every year. But what we do do, and our fire marshal does a good job with this is he assigns buildings um, every year to every company on every shift, every, I don't know, every, two or three months or whatever. And it's not so much for inspections. Uh-huh. It's uh, building familiarization and identification. Sure. And so they go out and they look at these buildings and they talk about them. And then um, our training division is also, and I did it when I was a training officer, I would go out and just take pictures of buildings mm-hmm. and and ask the captains to give, I would give them like a sheet with four or five questions to discuss with their crews. Because right now, Chris, we have captains that have never had a fire in that kind of building in our in our jurisdiction. It, to, totally like you said, they may go an entire career. Yeah, and, and you know, um, it, what's crazy to think is some people might say everything every just said was well, that's super progressive, but let's re- let's remember twenty years ago that was just another day, right? That's what you did before Mission Creep went towards you know EMS stuff. You were out looking at buildings. That's all. That's what you did. We used to do that. We had we had to do three buildings a month. We had to draw the plot plan, the floor plan, you know. And, and then obviously things have changed a little bit, you know, um, but it's funny to think like some somebody might think that's a progressive or that's like and that's where we used to be. And now we're coming back to that. It's also funny, too, because you guys are one of the busier departments when it comes to EMS in the county. So the fact that you are that busy, but still manage to make time to do that should say something to everybody else. Yeah, we try and we don't, you know, we're by far not perfect. And, and Chris, to your point, we had to come back around to doing that too. We had gotten away from getting companies out on the streets and, and, and what's helped is we don't give them like a real hard deadline. It's like, Hey, here, here's your tasks, get it in where you can, but these are critical components uh, or, you know, that, that you need to make sure you get, especially with the young guys. When I was a captain, um, any time we got on the road, and I'm not the only captain that did this, uh, but I can only speak to my own experiences. So when I was a captain, and we and we still had the captains still do this, uh, I just had a conversation with one of our, we just hired five people. And one of the newer members told me that, you know, he goes, man, he goes, you guys, we, we train all the time, you know, and it's so, it's so good. And I'm learning things I never learned. And 
and that's a testament to smart people. Not, you know, not me by any means. But if we went to the grocery store on the way back, we would go somewhere. We would swing by, you know, the strip mall that has a bowling alley in the basement. You know, we would sure. we would uh, go by. We, you know, you've got the anchor store, and then you've got the strip malls kind of attached to the ends of it. And there's three different FTC connections on the back. And we would talk about why those things are important. But I get one day as a fire chief. I get one day with the new hire, uh-huh. um, and. We go to Central County Dispatch, we get lunch, and then I'll drive them around the district and I'll show them, you know, here's Old Town. Hey, it doesn't look like it, but this this building's got a basement in it or, you know, the basement in the strip mall or, hey, this type three building, you know, you've got, uh, explain to them how the exterior walls are masonry and load bearing and then all those things. And then I show them the old engine house and I show them where all the fires were. Sure. And that kind of kicks off their knowledge of our, of our building stock. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and I, and I enjoy it. And right. And that's the thing is we, we've yet to be anywhere who, uh, and, and find, you know, someone who doesn't like talking about their buildings. You know, I mean, some people are obviously super into it, but then even the, just the most, you know, unmotivated individual they will always start to seem interested and start talking about their buildings i don't know it's just innate behavior of wanting to know about your environment but uh it's, yeah I mean, it's, we've it's even not we've got an old sears set, house right? made out of metal yeah oh really so wow one? cool um yeah we yeah, have one. one or two still left in the city but uh yeah it's it, i mean the bottom line is it's not it's not a hard thing to sell i mean people talk about buildings they like and, and like you said it no matter what you're doing if it's a, whatever, you know, non-fire related, doesn't matter. You're on the street there. It's not like it's out of your way. You know I mean? It's on the way. So um, it, it's just one of those things that we really, really when it, bottom line is there's no excuse not to be involved with it, you know? So, and it sounds like you're, you're definitely above a lot of places um, efforts. And like Lex said, you have a really busy department for EMS and it's okay because you kind of take up for that, you know, or a chief officer does, who's who can stop by and look at interesting things, take photos, and then bring that back to the crews. So, um, yeah, and we encourage, we we will sometimes, you know, depending, you know, depending on what's going on, but um, we allow those ambulances individually, depending on service calls, to strike out for thirty minutes to get training in. You know, we 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 really do that, and in, in our ambulances, we really emphasize that they are part of suppression and rescue because that's, that's we put ticks, we put water cans, we put hooks, we put, you know, pigs, we put sure. all that stuff's on those, whatever we can fit on that ambulance that helps in suppression they have. And, and, you know, we, we talk about that in their orientation that, Hey, listen, you're on the street and something comes out, you're going to be the first one there to do something, you sure. know? And so that makes them more interested. Uh-huh. Um, and, and it's really paid off for us big time. So kind of tailing off of that, I know we're past it a little bit, but for people who aren't familiar with the area and your department specifically, can you describe it a little bit for us? I know you just kind of did there, but give us a little bit about the culture, maybe how you guys are set up, what trucks you have, um, how yeah. a little more about how the ambulances work and that kind of thing. Yeah, so we are, uh, we're a fire protection district in North St. Louis County, um, just north of the airport. We're 22 square miles. We're pretty dense for a suburban fire protection district. We're about 80,000, um, mostly bedroom community with light commercial retail. Um, we have three engine houses, um, two engines on the two outlying houses, a quint at the main house. And then we've got an ambulance at each house with two ambulances at our, at our 
centrally located engine house. And we run, I think last year we ran over 14,000 calls. Uh, obviously most of those are EMS related. We did respond to 133 working fires. So they, they get, they get a little bit of work. Um, but our, you know, our, our trucks are no less than three people. We try to have four, but with vacation and stuff, uh, it just not always the case. We did add three people, uh, at the first of the year to try to help with that. <clears throat> and then, um, the ambulances are super busy, but, um, we, we train their cross trained as firefighters, like most everywhere else in St. Louis County. And we really work hard to create a culture that they're, they're part of suppression. And they, if there's no victims on a first alarm, they pair up with the first arriving company, a suppression company. And then that gives that company officer a lot of flexibility mm-hmm. with being able to achieve, you know, multiple tasks uh, really quickly and early on so you really can move a line and do a simultaneous search when when those circumstances present themselves and we've also had um, a couple years ago we've had an apartment fire an apartment building that came out as a fire alarm and uh, one of our ambulances was coming back from a hospital that was right nearby there and got there is on the third floor and uh, took all the stuff up found the unit forced the door found a kitchen fire, knocked it down with the water can, and uh, they ended up finding a lady hiding in the closet who was unconscious from CO and smoke poisoning. Uh, but that's what we that's what we expect of them, and uh, they do a really good job. That, that's good. You know, I mean, um, it sounds like you, you've definitely found the, the perfect balance of, you know, how to, how to do fire-based EMS it, with a enormous workload. So I know some places can easily creep away, and then all of a sudden you have individuals in a position, you know, for many years – uh, you know, essentially skill atrophied and all of a sudden on a fire truck one day. And that, that sounds like that's probably not ever going to be the case where you're at. So that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. And we're mostly single family. We got a lot of apartment complexes, but we've only got one high rise, um, which is residential and it's, you know, it's all concrete blocked and stuff. We get, we get food on the stove open a small fire there occasionally, but our, our primary response is going to be, one or two stories, single family, and then a lot of the multifamily buildings because they're still holding out and, sure. and heavily populated. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the story of that, you know, all the inner ring suburbs of, of, you know, not just St. Louis, but most every other city that's old, you know, had, uh, and by I mean old, I mean a city that hasn't exploded in you know, the, the last 50 years. Um, you know, that's that's just how, how it is in those, all, all the, you know, the inner ring suburbs like that. Um, it, it's a mix of, I would say 60, 40 older to newer stuff, you know, so you really got to change up how your department runs with, with your environment. You know, you're not just stuck in modern construction world or a mindset for that matter. What's the age yeah, that's right. of your department? Is it, is it, you know, is there still a lot of older guys on the truck still, or is it pretty young? We are transitioning to a younger department, um, which has been really exciting. Um, we've, we're kind of hitting a space where we've got a lot of people retiring out. Mm-hmm. So, um, we're seeing a lot of youth. And when I say youth, like we're hiring 21, 22, you know, year old, I call them kids, yeah. um, but we're, we're starting to see a transition. And most of our older folks uh, are engineers. Um, doesn't mean they don't ride the back stuff occasionally, but uh, primarily they're, they're behind the wheel, mm-hmm. um, which gives our younger folks a really good opportunity because those engineers start to, purposes is one is they uh they help train our uh, aspiring engineers and relief engineers and then they also 
are able to share, you know, stories about calls. Um, and, you know, and the good engineers, when I was a captain, I can remember um, he is a 30 year guy. And we would go out of town, and if his apparatus wasn't needed for a pumping, he would kind of be the extra set of eyes on the exterior. And I can remember on a couple fires, him giving me a, a report from the backside or from a you know a different perspective and saying, hey, I think you got something up here, and it gave us some good direction. And so the, those guys are real valuable, but we are seeing them start to retire out. We had a retirement yesterday, as a matter of fact. So we're starting to get younger, uh, which is a lot more work, mm-hmm. a lot more responsibility, but really exciting for us. Um, you know, that, that's that's good always, you know, to have have youth coming in your department. Um, it sounds like you guys have a pretty decent balance of depth also to, to you know, balance out the, the inexperience in that factor. But um, so how, how do you all go about um, approaching, you know, the newer generation? Obviously, no one's, no one's framing houses out of high school anymore, right? That's not a common thing. Um, so... Is, is there a lot of that back and forth too now with the just the building construction components? Because I mean, we have people who look at a brick wall and they have no idea what they're even looking at. You know, look at a, a brick, you know, veneer wall and have no idea what that is, right? So like, um, those are just some of the, the examples that we normally run into with someone of that like age and, and experience. So, um, so like, is there anything that you... Is there any way like, yeah. the system, I guess, it sounds like you kind of almost, your system's already kind of set up for that, to where the engineers, obviously, they've seen the streets, they've been around the buildings longer, they can pass that on, you know. But it also takes a younger person to ask the question, too, in some cases, so. Yeah, and, and what we see, I think, and, you know, being the chief now, I don't, I, I don't see it as much, but I know it's happening because I hear about it. But, you know, the engineers talk a lot. But also, we do a class a couple times a year, um, we have a couple of guys that are real mechanically uh, proficient. And what we found out some time ago, several years ago, is that you're, exactly what you're talking about is the people coming out of the academy and paramedic school, they weren't volunteers anywhere. They weren't in the trades. Sure. They're going out of high school, right into programs, getting a degree, and coming to work, and which is fine. Yeah. But they're missing out on some of the aspects of what firefighting kind of needs and understanding what – you know, it's jack stud is and, mm-hmm. and what a header is and uh, a veneer versus a structural wall. And I mean, even, you know, being on a call and saying, hey, check the score cage. Uh-huh. They, don't, they don't know what that is. So we had a couple of guys put together a class that covers some of that, the vernacular. Cool. And then they, they'll go through all the tools. They, they only, hey, do you know how to start a chainsaw? Do you know how to change the ch- chain and what direction it goes? So do you know? And so the, the members themselves have done a good job uh, recognizing where some of the gaps are uh-huh. and, and plugging those holes. And so we've been pretty fortunate and successful with that. Cool. So um, from a chief's perspective, uh, if you have like a, I, I don't know if you even have an answer for this. Um, what, say you have a building on fire that's an old, old historic part of your, your town. What immediately changes from bread and butter, you know, newer building fire in your mind like other than you know this is older uh where, where do you go from there in your in your decision making and, and you already have like a mental model from a chief's perspective on how you're going to handle this differently than you would a normal fire of a newer building yeah so there's a few things that come to mind right away one is is uh you know what you're seeing like we mentioned before you know is because those are low bearing walls collapse zones but 
you know, have, has that building been tough pointed to take care of? You know, that's one thing nobody really talks about in these buildings because the mortar holds the, the wall together. <laughs> and, sure. and if those buildings haven't been maintained, you got a big problem. The other part is uh, access. Um, you, you probably got a storefront. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about Main Street. You got a storefront. And a lot of times there's an access somewhere that goes upstairs, but it's not always obvious. So you, you have difficulty with access locating it. Well, then you increase work time. So additional resources for that. Um, as far as hose deployment, mm-hmm. uh, most of ours are pretty close to the street. So I'm not too concerned about depth or length, sure. but I am concerned about the number of crews that are going to need to move that line okay. and get the first line in place first. Um, and then outside of that, being able to determine what is the occupancy above the main the main level. It can be apartments, it can be storage, it can be a hidden occupancy, it can be completely open and vacant, you just don't know. And so, you know, starting with those things and then you get into exposures and you get into, you know, the, the roof load is it got uh, updated and increased weight from you, you know HVAC systems, or has that roof got a rain roof on it now, as opposed to the original flat roof? Uh, um, even with the original flat roof, because of how expensive it is to replace those roofs, they usually just put additional layers on them, so ventilation can be a real challenge in those situations. So, right away, resource intensive. A lot of people, mm-hmm. um, you know, collapse zones. You know, usually you can, you got a pretty good idea of what age that building is, and where you get concerned is when you get a lot of smoke coming from those mortar joints, sure. and then you've got to really be careful. You're on the dot. I mean, this is definitely probably the the most in depth, best answer we've ever gotten with this question. Um, <laughs> other than telling us, you know, you have a twelve tooth chopper warthog saw ready to rock on a flat roof. Like, I don't know what I mean. <laughs> you hit all your marks. Um, you yeah. Well, that. even even the best saw in the world on those built up roofs. You might need four or five, and you're going to change. You're going to change blades, no matter what kind of saw you have. And so you got to have the ability to do that, and, and the resources to do that, because a lot of companies don't carry that many blades. No, no or, or, um, or the saw at all. They, you know, they have no, they have no plan for a cockloft fire in an old building running running a common void. It's it. surprising the number of departments locally that have built up flat roofs that aren't prepared for them. And departments that the majority of their buildings are that, that aren't prepared for them. So it's, yeah. it's, it's mind-blowing, actually. And I don't think they understand because, you know, if you're doing your building um, familiarizations, you need to get up on the roofs and, and acknowledge that those are, those are different, right? Those are old. Well, maybe they're new. Maybe they, they may be replaced old ones. But like you said, most likely they're old or built up. That's not going to be a chainsaw. You know, it's just not going to happen. So uh, yeah. it's, just, it's a very interesting uh, deficit that I've, I've definitely noticed in the area, depending on, it just depends on where you work. You got to have a chief in the know um, that understands their environment at that level. Yeah. And, and interestingly enough, a lot of that experience came from out in Sullivan. We had a few downtown fires and went to a few downtown fires with those type three buildings. And that's where a lot of that experience came from. And then some years ago, we did a, we did a roof exercise uh, on top of a, uh, they were renovating like a, it was a big box store, <clears throat> but what it did for us was, and it was a, it was a rubber coated roof, mm-hmm. you know, it was obviously lightweight steel joists underneath, but what it did for us, we were able to get up on that roof and we were able to show and look at, um, those materials, mm-hmm. um, and, and show people how a chainsaw that we didn't cut that roof, but we had similar materials on pallets, right? Sure. But we, we did it up on top of the roof, not the ground uh-huh. because 
just take for example sounding a roof right well if, if you don't spend any time on a roof, especially a wide span roof, yeah. it always feels spongy and oh, bouncy, you, sure you know? And, and if you don't know the difference between soft and bouncy, um, you're, you're going to make a mistake and you're going to vet in the wrong place right. or you're going to get yourself in a bad spot. And so um, getting up on those roofs, it, it was an eye opener for a lot of our folks and how they feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what they look like. And so you bring up a really good point is when, if you have the opportunity to train in these buildings, are you, are you guys able to get in them? I know there's not a lot, but maybe a neighboring district. Um, there, if there's a demo building, do you guys take the opportunity to get into those? Or are you able to get into old buildings just to, to get the, like you said, they got to get their hands on um, at some point to get the reps in this yeah, we, training? We try. Uh, it's not always possible, uh, but we, we do try. Our fire marshal looks for them. You know, there was a a townhouse complex uh, in the middle of town that failed in 2008 and it's been sitting vacant since there. And we used it for a few years until a new owner bought it. And, and it was three stories, I guess. Okay. And we would use it quite a bit, and, you know, for uh, deploying hose upstairs and things like that. And then um, if they're renovating a large building, we'll try to get into it. Um, we've used um, some buildings like we used to use Jamestown Mall for a little while before it got so bad. Sure. Uh, for they did a big forcible entry class there, and then we bought a house behind our firehouse, and uh, it's been good because it's a real house, mm-hmm. and so they get to they don't we can't really cut the roof and stuff like that because we don't want it looking bad for the city, but they're able to stretch line in a real house. Um, um, do things in our house, build the props that are in a real house. But sure. we do the best we can um, when we find those buildings. And there is, it's, you can't uh, put a price on the value in those things. Right. And that's, you know, it's funny you bring up the real house. Um, that is something that departments, I think, used to do a lot more of back in the, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s. They'd buy the house next to the, the fire department or they'd buy one in town and, uh, they would train. It was, I remember doing that, you know, on, on departments, in my volunteer departments I started on. There was always like that house next door to the firehouse that we would train in. And uh, that's something that maybe needs to be talked about more out there, you know, because um, it is so much better than what you can get out of, you know, the, the, the built towers and so forth. Um, that, I mean, there's just things you're going to learn in that building that you'll never learn anywhere else. So. Yeah, because you have actual bedrooms, the yeah. doors swing the right way, you know, but you can, hey, the door swings in, it's an occupied space, right. the door swings out, it's probably a basement or it's a, it's a pantry or, you know, stairwell or something, it's right. a utility space, but, and, and, you know, you can, you can actually go through and talk about those things. Yeah, I mean, you're training in your actual buildings that are going to be in your city, right, unless that's just the one weird house, right, that is built in the yeah, building, you know yeah. what I mean? So, like, yeah, it's, this, there's a long list of benefits of, if you're able to, like you said, if, if you're in a an agency that's able to purchase that. That's that's huge to be able to do that. And that one's actually, I think, got some need wall space. So we're actually able to show them that. And it's got a, two, a second story on us and dormers. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it, it worked out pretty well for us. Well, good. So um, going kind of back to your history of building construction, you know, was there a specific incident or building that made you realize that you needed to take a deeper look at building construction? Um, or, you know, was there a certain incident or something that made you decide that you needed to study this more? I don't think it was a specific interest or incident or building. Uh, back in the early 90s, I was taking um, some classes at East Central College, and there was a guy, uh, I think his name was Don Peters. He was from Washington, and he was teaching this building construction class. And he was, he was a guy that uh, we went on, I think, two or three different field trips 
to look at buildings uh, to, to, to illustrate what he's talking about in the books. And then I got real interested in it. And then um, in the mid-90s, I became a fire marshal at our volunteer department. And what I started to figure out was that there were a lot of things, a lot of parallels between um, the fire marshal side, the, the, the way things are built, the way they're constructed, the materials, the joints, the systems that relate directly to how we operate in these buildings. And obviously, not just from, you know, the challenges, but also what it what it does to us with, you know, how what kind of doors are put in certain areas and what kind of window sizes and then i started looking at buildings in my in my in my town and so i would go around town and i would look at buildings and houses and i knew a few real estate agents and if a place was vacant they give me permission i would take a picture of the outside and then i'd go inside and match it up you know like so if you got window like kind of half windows that are up high off the ground you probably got plumbing under those windows right mm -hmm. so um, and, and so then we start taking talk, doing that. Well, then we say, okay, well, if a risk situation comes, where do you not want to cut a hole in the side of a house? Well, under those short windows, that's probably where a basement or a, a kitchen or bathroom is. And we just and I just started expanding from there and, and studying and, and reading more and learning more. And then I got into building systems and some of the commercial and you know really started I, there for a time. We had a hospital addition going up, and I got really into the differences between type one and type two. Um, and, and how that changes uh, standpipe requirements, how that changes corridor length, um, and, and the challenges that creates for uh, responding units. And then it, then it got into, okay, well, so if you got this corridor length, the building sprinklered, that building in particular wasn't required by code to have a standpipe system, but the amount of hose you would have to take with you into that building uh, is going to be so manpower intensive mm -hmm. and a fire an active fire in a type one building is a big problem because it's not supposed to burn. So if you, if you've got a fire and you, you got, you've got a big problem. And, and so those are the kind of things that I just start putting it all together and really get into it. Yeah. You know, it's funny you bring like the fire inspection side up because you know, uh, like, like, like Sullivan, you know, I was on an, a, a similar size department that, that eventually went um, paid in combination and uh you know they ran no ems but what we did in the, the, i guess the busy time was was that we did legit fire inspections of the town and, and yeah you had to know you know the ibc and you had to know the code and nfpa and all that um and uh w with those things you know like you said knowing why you know certain things are certain ways then it led to well this is what i'm going to need for the problems in these places and uh, like that's just one more thing that you know. Unfortunately, that the mission has creeped away from because now we all know what we're all busy with now, and and, th and that's fine. But it's just what's not fine is it's not fire prevention anymore necessarily. It's not inspections because we fill our day with you know a lot more other stuff. And I think that's, yeah, that's you know, you take you take a main street, Chris, and you renovate a Type Three building, right? Sure. If you renovate a type three building, depending on occupancy, it may not need to be sprinkled and it also will not require an upgrade in infrastructure, which means these these old type three buildings, ordinary construction buildings, are in the oldest part of your city, most likely. In in front, especially for us in the rural and suburban areas, which means that the infrastructure is probably not too far behind it, which probably means your water supply is not as good as it is in the newer parts mm -hmm. of your, your town. And 
So all of those things match up because renovations don't require an upgrade to infrastructure this, most of the time. It's only when you build something new right. that you have to meet new fire flow requirements. Sure. And so those things are important to understand. And so your hydrant spacing is going to probably be longer. The the uh, diameter of the, the distribution water system coming in is probably going to be a little smaller. And so you're going to have to plan according for that. And also, especially outside of the, the ring of St. Louis City, a lot of these old towns are built near railways. Right. And so you can have access problems for not only water supply, but apparatus due to the rail systems. And so all those things have to be taken. It's a big package, right? Right. So and that's we'll just kind of drift in that look. That direction, like we said, we talked. We want to kind of talk about the Midwest Main Street. Um, so that's that's basically Indiana to, to Kansas, you know, and then Nebraska to Texas. So you said rail railway rail railroad railroad <laughs> railway. So so we've studied kind of some some layouts of of the towns, whether it's a square, a linear layout, and like you said, they normally they normally run a highway, a rail, or a, a river. Um, or you'll have a town square. Um, I'm not sure what Sullivan is, but uh, the, the towns that I, I came up in with the volunteer fire service, we just had one long row. Um, and essentially it was, it was a, row, a row of connected buildings, but no one had trained on row homes or connected row firefighting tactics. It, no premise of that. Um, and uh, I, I don't know what your experience is with, with Sullivan, how they did their training, or with, but it definitely appears that the experiences you had in a small town definitely helped you later on in, in a bigger urban environment, which a lot of people would, would think would be counterintuitive. But in this case, it's not. Yeah, just consider like you're talking about the, the, the row of Main Street. That's kind of what Sullivan's got. It's along the rail, the, the, the railway, the railroad. And you look at those row summer blocks of kind of similar buildings, but you've always got these gangways in between them. Oh. And uh, sometimes it depends on the building and, and what it's being used for. Uh, understanding how to get a ladder in those gangways and use it mm-hmm. um, is it's a skill. There's an art to that sure. um, because it's not easy. Uh, but you can have occupied space uh, above those storefronts, uh, whether it's the owner of that building. You know, back in the day, the owner or the tenant of the storefront lived above it. Uh, their family did. Now it's not as common, but uh, it still happens. You know, Sullivan's got an apartment complex above uh, one of the blocks that they've got there. And so, and there's usually, you know, depending on the size of those blocks and those row homes, there's two or three of those gangways, but they're pretty narrow. And it's not easy getting ladders up there or even moving hose between them because they'll have gates on the front side, the street side. And uh, those are real big challenges. Um, yeah, that's the thing. So I remember very... Uh... I remember, I remember, you know, very vividly my first fire I had in, in uh, the town that I was a volunteer firefighter at. And it was it was the the only third floor Main Street building. Of course, it was the top floor, right? You know, why, why wouldn't it be? And uh, there was definitely some stuff that had to happen to put that fire out that that department had never, ever talked about and or trained on. But luckily, there were some individuals that were on that department from um, the, the local uh St. Louis County departments that, that kind of helped guide how that fire was put out. But, um, it it was definitely, uh, it was, it was definitely a very interesting experience. Like early on in my career as a firefighter, even though I was, I was volunteer at the time. Um, it was just everything about that fire was different, you know, instead of a ranch home with 
you know, a hose in the door, a right and a left. We were going up two floors and then the fire floor, right? I mean, it was a vertical stretch that was completely foreign to me. You know, multiple ladders needed, right? Um, roof operations, you know, ladder trucks in general. You know, ladder trucks weren't as common as they are now, you know, 20 years ago in, in the rural departments um, in, in Missouri, in our area. Only like, like, like one department had one, right? Like in a, like a 20 miles like radius. And exactly. Right. So, um, and, and uh, quite honestly, like, and they weren't used for access, right? Let's be real. They were used for large water aerial capabilities. Um, they wanted to prevent burning down the town. Sure. That was what they were for. Sure. Right. And uh, that wasn't this type of fire. This type of fire wasn't that. It was. It was just you know a couple rooms on the top floor, and uh, it wasn't burning down the town. And it, it was. It was needed to put out from the inside, and it was just so foreign. Everything about this fire from the get-go was just so foreign, and um, it really opened my eyes to how different these fires are, especially in these small towns. Because I know you've alluded to manpower a lot when you're talking about um, fluorescent, but when you when you take the same fire that you would have in Old Town fluorescent, and then take that same fire and put it in you know any town Main Street, they're gonna say they're not gonna say manpower. They're gonna say I need water, right? Because the mindset isn't even people or property or you know getting inside and putting out while it's small it's like you just said we're gonna lose the town you know but i think they forget there's there's a lot of opportunity in between those two things right um and and i I wish it would kind of find a a happy balance because you know like this like like we're talking about here you know it's, it's not it's not just i need manpower or i need water big water you know like that it hasn't reached that point yet eventually you might but um, yeah, I, I you know it's, you know you know I'm trying to say. Oh yeah, I agree. It, you know, and I think I think a lot of that comes to, um, and, and I you know, it's interesting how you talk about getting the first line in place first, mm-hmm. um, and how hard that is for some places okay. to right. to hold on to and actually do to put to say that hey the first six people are going to move this line mm-hmm. uh, because that's what's required. And then it prevents that fire from taking over the entire top floor. You know, I mean, right. um, but for some reason, for some places, it's it's a hard sell. You know, and, and, I mean, and, and, the, and a lot of places have never been told that for years. They've been told, you know, pull this line and pull them back up, and sure. and on and on. And for some places, it's really new and a little bit alien for them. Um, and the thing is, like you you even alluded to before, the doors, the accesses in these places. So so say you know you 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 have you know you're in a um, a department in the Midwest, you have a training tower and you're going to, you're going to practice, you know, stretching up, up two floors and you're going to use your stairwell and your tower. Cool. The same stairwell you've always used, whether it's a return stair, an exterior, interior, main street happens now, a fire on the third floor, maybe even a fourth floor. We have some tall main streets in Missouri. Um, those doors aren't in the same lineup, right? Like one might be in the back of the building. One might be in the middle of the building. One might be in the rear of the building. Like that's, totally different right you're now you're set i mean the whole rule of one section per floor that that's out the window you know it is uh, and those stairs are going to be much narrower super, and much steeper right narrower steeper now we're throwing in a smoke condition um yeah right so like you start adding you go with such a deficit like that that tactically speaking think about the training you'd have to over you know go into it to overcome that uh, and I don't think people realize these fires when you're when you're vertically stretching up to an upper floor of a main street. I don't think they even realize those situations. But that's okay because now we can get into well, hey, let's make it easier. Let's use a window with a ladder. And that that leads you into an even more kind of lost thing. When's the last time you saw anyone go over go over a you know line over a ladder to an interior attack from a floor below? When's the last time you saw that? 
You know, it yeah, it's yeah. it's not, not common. Not a right? long, long time. So. <laughs> yeah, right. But it's super old school and it's ultra relevant. You know, there's cities that do that almost an, as an SOG now. Uh, that have been doing it for a long time. And those are those are your old cities on the East Coast. So that's the big thing, you know, when, whenever we do a class is these are old buildings and you're going to have to kind of dig and, and use some old school tactics. Not that they're dangerous, not that old school equals reckless or dangerous, but it's just, it's a matter of practicality. You know what I mean? It's not any different than, you know, you don't fight a strip off fire the same way you do a single family residence. And you can't treat these old two, three, four story, you know, ordinary construction buildings like a single family residence either. This, right. You've got to adapt to, to what's presented in front of you. And, and you have to have the wherewithal to know what you're going to do that's different, sure. you know? Sure. And, and, and so we get tripped up on the opposite end of that spectrum to where, you know, we see old, 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 you know, and then all of a sudden we have this new stuff. And uh, now we have to make a step back and go, hey, all right, you know, fellas, a little different here. A little different game plan, you know. We're not going to do this, you know. We're going to do this instead, you know. And like you said, if you don't have the discipline to uh, to catch that shift change, uh, you're gonna you're gonna you know trip yourself up on an incident. You know what's interesting, Chris, is when you talk about you know the differences in those tactics and old school tactics and whatnot. And um, what I have witnessed in where where people get in trouble with the new construction, a lot of times is um, most single family residential buildings you go in you make a left or right turn you put it out and you're done mm-hmm. but it's so they don't open up till the fire is over right correct well an old school tactic that would prevent a lot of the um, fire spread in these highly engineered low weight low mass buildings is if we open up with the hose line mm. instead of finding out later that it's over our head and that's an old school tactic yeah sure you know but because the bottom line is they're gonna pull out a drywall out anyway I, right so i hear you let's let's open up you know let's let's go with it let's open up with the hose line and make sure we don't miss something yeah and and we prevent a lot of that spread that, and that in, these, is, in these buildings that's that's so true because just from you know it, we, we both you and i uh, we both, you know, have been around teaching, and that is definitely one thing I've noticed when I've brought up overhaul. Is people are like, "Oh man, overhaul! That's after the fire's out." And usually, almost always, it's places like you're talking about that have been in. They're, they're all modern construct. It's a modern constructed environment. So yeah, to them, overhaul is an afterthought. It's an after the fire thing, and that is not how you do old older buildings. So if you don't lose that mindset, that is one thing you can definitely take from the past and apply towards the present. And it doesn't compromise the, the fight. If anything, it makes it better. Like you said, if you, if you go in with a hook on your hose crew or a second in truck company opening up while the fire is being put out, you're going to save yourself a lot of trouble in these newer buildings. Yeah, because, you know, the older buildings, you got to watch the chases. You know, yeah, you got to sure. have that cast iron chase, you know, that pipe going from the, the bottom to the top. Yeah. It's like a balloon frame oh, in right. certain respects. Yep. And and you've got to open up. you got to open up. We've got some apartment buildings that, that have that exact thing. And, and I've got a picture I use in my apartment class. And it's just, it, it followed that chase. It's a huge, big chase. Yeah. And it's not any different. It's a lot of times more of a horizontal chase in the newer construction as opposed to vertical. Mm-hmm. But it's still, we got to open up. And once the smoke hits that drywall, it's coming down. You yeah. can't get the smell out of it. You can't repaint it. It's all coming down. So, you know, just 
know, I agree. It's not just for when the fire's out. It's, you know, that's part of uh, um, the confinement, right? Sure. Is keeping it where it is. Right. Um, so just kind of wrapping stuff up here, we got a couple closing questions for you. You've kind of answered this already, but what is, when you arrive on scene or you're, you, you hear an address of a historic building coming out, maybe down in your downtown district, what, how does that change your initial strategies and tactics? Do you guys have a specific SOG for that? Or do you just know upon arrival you're going to treat it differently? What's your guys' like go-to for that? Yeah, we do, we do not have a separate SOG. Uh, the SOG pretty well stays the same. But um, the, the idea about, but let me, our SOGs always give latitude in writing mm-hmm. for the officers to adjust um, to, to what they have. So, for me, as a chief officer that's responding to one of these buildings, the SOG is probably not going to change. What I'm going to probably do is make sure that positioning is right. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a big deal. Uh, making sure that um, we've got a, an established water supply, making sure that we're identifying the correct type of occupancy mm-hmm. uh, so that we're not wasting time getting to where we need to go. Um, making sure it doesn't have a cellar that we don't know about or special hazards kind of things we talked about before, but our folks are pretty in tune with our buildings. Um, and luckily we don't have a huge downtown footprint. That's got a lot of them, but you know, and, and, and then from, you know, this is a command perspective, you know, collapse zones, but the big thing for me on those buildings is going to get positioning, facilitating that first line, making sure we've got enough people on that first line and then extra resources if we need them. Because like we talked about downtown water supply, not always reliable. And, and, um, you know, the last thing you want is your guys and gals upstairs running out of water. Do you send companies to the rear of the building too? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a big deal for us. Uh, we, we talk a lot about that. We, Every uh, one of the fires, it's not a downtown fire, but it really hits home that we have our people always um, look at every year, every couple of years, is the Mark Falkenhand line of duty death uh, from, I think, Baltimore County. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the big contributing factors was get people on the backside of that building. And so we pay very close attention to that. You know, we when we set up our command structure, the first two officers is in command. We try to be in front of the building. And the second officer, I, there's you know there's no absolutes, but 99% of the time we put that second officer on the backside, sure. um, so that we got eyes on all four sides. And, you know, I get well. You should have a safety. You should have accountability. And I'm like, listen, there's nothing more safe and nothing more accountable than having eyes on all four sides of the building. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and so that's that's really important to us, and we we try to get people on on all four sides. That's awesome. Yeah, we we've definitely noticed um, just throughout research and stuff on these older buildings, a lot of the fires by far the vast majority of the fires start in the rear of these buildings because that's if you think about it, that's where the the behaviors of of the people are that start these fires happen right you have the kitchens the smoking areas you know the, the electrical the utility um the hazardous processes are always in the rear of the buildings they're, they're not starting in the showroom window right that's just not a thing unless it's you know incendiary um so it's usually in the rear so yeah i mean that's that's one thing we always try to stress when we do these classes is um if you have an asset, send it to the rear. If you have 500 gallons of water on a, on a pumper, send at least a second or something to the rear of these buildings. And some places have gone so far to pre-plan and actually send their first in to the rear of these buildings. And uh, there's one department that actually made a rescue, I believe, because they, they did that. They pre-planned and said, if this one's on fire, we're going to start in the back of the building. And it paid off. 
Yeah, that's great stuff. The other thing I would I would add to that, because you make a great point, is on those buildings and even like strip malls, mm-hmm. a dumpster fire should get a first alarm response. Right. <laughs> because the odds of that getting into the sockets and, and into the roof of those commercial structures is, is pretty good. Yeah. You can always turn people away. It's a lot harder to get them there later, right? Exactly. Yep. Yep. I was always under the impression I don't like surprises. Right. I, I don't want to show up and be surprised because then it changes the game plan. It changes your demeanor. It makes you rushed. And, and so it's just easier to get those resources going. Like you said, turn them around if you don't need them. Absolutely. Um, so a couple more questions, just kind of closing things up. We talked a lot about training, getting your members engaged, that kind of the culture of your department. You know, like you said, you're, you're really busy, but you still have, you know, a fire-centric culture, right? Um, we know that across the fire service, that's an issue. Um, not all the departments are able to do that for one reason or another. So from a chief's perspective, what do you think the biggest things you guys do um, to get your culture the way it is? What would you, if someone came to you asking, how can I get my department to be you know, on that direction that you guys are aiming for? What would you say? I think a couple of things. Number one, our members uh, have done a wonderful job at creating the culture we have. Um, they, they get all the credit for that. Mm-hmm. And, and so what we've done is we've, we've really emphasized that, hey, we need to be good at everything we do and everybody needs to be good at everything we do. So yeah, we run 85% EMS, but the problem is it's that it's that you know high risk low frequency or whatever you want to call it but basically telling that our brand new member um is valued on the fire ground too uh we're going to put and and, and to be quite honest i tell them uh, and when i sit down with them on that day that hey listen we're we're here to save lives and property and we will put you in harm's way when the situation dictates and they like that they they like to know that they're going to work and the other thing is, I think as a chief, you have to you have to be willing to take some risks. Right. Um, like I said, we will take an ambulance out of service to get training in. Um, now, if a life threat call comes out, we put them in service and send them. But um, and, and if every other unit's out, we don't do it. It's within some boundaries and guidelines. But what that does is it, it shows that we do value those those people. They're not just. Um, you know, they're just not ambulance drivers, quote unquote, that they, they do. And, and I, and we've seen it pay off that apartment fire. I told you about, we've had some kitchen fires get knocked down, but before an engine gets there, um, we had a, I've got video of, of an ambulance crew, VES in a bedroom and making the save before the engine, while the engine company's putting water in the fire. So, I mean, all of those things, um, and then, and then when those things happen, man, you just blast it out to everybody and how wonderful, you know, right. and, and you show them how, what, what a difference they make. Um, it, but it also nails home the point that the training matters, the education, you know, the, the drilling matters, taking the time. And then the other side of that is when we do train and drill, we're not killing them. Mm-hmm. It's very focused. It's very pointed. There's a purpose and objective. And when we get that done, the res, you know, it's over. So it may be 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes. We do have some that are an hour or two, but you know, it's like purposeful and meaningful. And that's that's a credit to the members and the officers and the people that are doing the bulk of the training. That's always been my biggest question with dedicated ambulance people. You know, even if they do fight fire on the scene, you know, if they're not if they're not included, you know, made to feel, I guess, like a firefighter, you know, when they get on that truck, they're not going to know anything, right? If you don't let them do things now, they spend, you know, five, ten years on an ambulance not being allowed to participate in the fire. 
and then they move up to the fire truck. Like, what do you expect from them? Yeah, and when I started there, I can remember showing up on call. We did. I mean, they did. We didn't put our gear on. They didn't want us doing anything with fire. And I remember showing up on house fires, waiting for the truck to get there, not being able to do anything. Oh, yeah, you know, and and I remember being told, "Just stand here." You know, and I had experience. You know, right. it's not like I was some guy had never fought fire before right. and so we worked really hard to change that culture um it was a long push um the SOGs actually got changed to where it says the first two EMS unit will pair up with the first two engine company unless there's a patient okay. and um so that just put it in writing that this is how we're going to do things and you're right it it gives people value and it also it's good for the community um I mean let's face it it's good that, that our ambulance can show up and VES a window without an engine company being there, that they know how to do that and are willing to do it, that they can make it an apartment and knock down a kitchen fire in a really small space that fills up quickly with CO and smoke. So it's good for the citizens. Um, it's also good for our institutional knowledge so that a person that, although they spent 10 or 15 years on an ambulance, they've been first in the door on however many fires, right. you know, a year. Yeah. And, um, I, I think, uh, sorry to cut you off. I think some, something that a lot of people forget is that the ambulances are the people who are in the buildings the most. They spend probably, if you did the math, the most amount of time in minutes or hours inside your building stock than anyone else. And, uh, I mean, you, that's an asset in itself right there. Um, so that, hundred percent, you know, yep. they're going to tell you some crazy stuff. They see some crazy layouts, um, maybe behaviors that may lead to a fire. I, obviously, I mean, they're, they're essentially like your intel gatherers um, if you want to use them that way. Yeah, they report heavy content occupancies. Uh, they report all that stuff. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like we're anti-EMS by any means, but there's definitely a, a way to use them to, to your, uh, you know, your benefit, especially packaged in the form of building construction, um, as was that point right there, so... Um, so last question, uh, where can people reach out to you in the future if they have more questions? And is there anywhere, I know you're going to be uh, coming up at Winter Fire School here in Missouri and FDIC if you want to kind of plug what you're going to be teaching there real quick. Yeah, so Winter Fire School doing uh, considerations and tactics for guard departments, uh, low-rise combustible buildings. Uh, first weekend in February in FDIC, I'm doing um, uh, – command ems command for civil unrest and we'll include some fire command for that um we've obviously had a lot of experience with that here and, and that's what i'll be doing at fdic if they want to get a hold of me i'm on facebook and in those places uh, the new fire officer and then jholman at gmail.com if they want to send me an email and um happy to help anybody that that needs anything if i've got something that's useful to them um i'll give it i'll give it to you and um I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. Awesome. Uh, Chief, we really appreciate your time. This is a really great conversation, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing you at these upcoming classes. Yeah, you two keep doing the great work you're doing. It's making a difference. All right. Hey, hey uh, thanks for having me out, Jason. We'll see you around. Stay safe. Uh, all right. Take care, everybody. See you. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Main Street Firefighting, a podcast by Fire Engineering. As always, if you have a topic you'd like to learn more about or a recent fire you'd like to discuss, please reach out. Stay safe and have a good night.